Well, good morning. It's glad to be back. I feel like I'm at home, as maybe you do as well. Try to get situated here. We've got a new little setup. We'll dim the lights. Great. Great. Mr. Nick Carbon has been teaching the young adult Sunday school class uh, since uh, Pastor Moon, of course, moved up to Gainesville, and he's been doing that, and it's been, it's been really good. I've been challenged and encouraged every time that I've been in the Sunday school class, and actually starting next week, I will be taking that over. So today is his last lesson in there. He's finishing up on Samson, and after that, I will be in there. And some of the things that we're going to go over today is something that I was getting in the works for when I take over that class. And in the summer, I was preparing for my ordination and, of course, got my doctrinal statement all written down. And after that was over, pastor said that he wanted me to teach that to the young adults, go through my doctrinal statements. And it's not only a doctrinal statement, but it's also, it has some fringe issues in there, some contemporary issues, things uh, that are just really practical. And there's about 30... 33 or some different topics that are in there, and so I'll be teaching through each one of those. And so this happens to actually be one of the lessons that I'll be teaching in there, as well as the one that I did last week for Sunday School that you may have watched um, on the trustworthiness of the Bible. But we will go ahead and uh, just get started right now with theology, the doctrine of God. Is God knowable? I say absolutely, 100%. He is knowable. But there are some things that are incomprehensible about him that we can't know. But he's allowed us to know certain things about him. We're not going to be able to wrap our mind around every intricate detail of God. But there are some things that we can know. So let's look at them. The revelation of God. Historically, there have been two avenues through which God has taken the initiative to reveal himself. General revelation and also special revelation. Trying to get my notes here. There we go. And we're going to focus on this lesson really more in the general revelation category. We'll talk about that. That has to do more with nature. Some people refer to it as uh, natural revelation, the thing that every person knows and can understand and can realize. Uh, Special revelation has to do with how God has, outside of nature, revealed himself to man. And it comes in a variety of different ways. In the Old Testament, uh, angels were used to relay God's message, and that would have been special uh, revelation. Dreams, visions, prophets, uh, events that he did. And of course, now we have Scripture. And some people, they come and they say, you know what, if God would just show himself to me, if he would just maybe appear to me like he did to Joseph, appear to me and tell me what I should do. Don't, you know, keep Mary, don't put her away, keep her. If, if somebody, if God would just do that for me, or maybe like Daniel where he received the vision, I would believe. But the Bible makes it clear that we have a much more sure word of prophecy. So what it's saying is, is we're better off having this in our hands than having a dream or a vision or an angel coming and appearing before us. That's what the Bible's saying. And Think about those people. We're actually far better off when you really do think about it. Those people that experienced those things, for many of them, it was just a one-time event or a two-time event. They didn't get the whole picture. We've been given the whole picture, and we're better off for it. But we're not going to dive really into the special revelation this morning. We're going to look at the general revelation. 
general revelation, it reaches all people. It reaches all people. What can be learned about God from general revelation? Well, here's some things that we can learn about God. We can learn about his glory, Psalm 19.1. The heavens declare the glory of God. What is glory? It's simply, it's simply giving God his due or making God look good. I like, I like that term, making God look good. That's what glory is. How do you give God the glory? You simply make God look good. You don't make yourself look good. You make God look good. And we, when we look out at nature, anybody, whether you're a believer or an unbeliever, you look out at nature, you look out at the human body, the intricacies of the human body, you look up into the sky and see the millions of stars that are out there in the galaxies that we're able to see with things like the Hubble's telescope, and man, it makes God look good. It makes him look good. Also, from that same verse, we learn about his power to create, that God is powerful. He's not just like anyone else. There's something different about him. The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament showeth his handiwork, his power to create, his supremacy. Romans 1.20, we're going to look at that in a little bit, so I'm not going to dive into Romans 1 just yet, but his supremacy, how he is something special. His providential control over nature, Acts 14.17, talks about how the rain falls from heaven and that we have food to eat and God takes care of all of that. This thing isn't just winding out of control, that God is in control. I didn't have to wonder if the sun was going to come up this morning because God is in control. He's in control of all of those details. Also, his goodness. Hey, the rain falls on the just and the unjust. God is good. Some people think that God has dealt them a bad hand. No, we've been given far more than we actually deserve. He's good, even to those people who oppose him. The people who are out there, the most wicked people that you know, God is still good to them, and good things come their way. He's good. What else do we know? Oh, here's a question. Can a person be saved through general revelation alone. Remember, general revelation has to do with the things that really are accessible to every person. They can look out, they can see nature. They can look at the anatomy of the human body. They can see all of the, the things that we can see, and, and it shows to us that there is a God. So the person way over in the Congo somewhere that has never heard the name of Jesus before, is that person able to be saved by general revelation alone? Some people say yes, some people say no, but I believe it's no. Because salvation only comes through Jesus Christ. That's the only way it has ever come, even from the Old Testament all the way until now. It comes through Jesus Christ. It's not enough to save you, but it actually can be enough to condemn you. Think about that for a minute. Rejection of general revelation is enough to condemn. However, acceptance doesn't guarantee that it's going to save you. Think about it this way. Imagine, imagine I hear about a student at a college. We have many college kids here that go to West Coast, Pensacola, many, many different schools. And imagine I heard about a need of one of them. They needed $1,000 for tuition. Imagine that. And out of the kindness of my heart, I go up to this person and imagine I only have $10. That's the only $10 I have. And I go up to this person who's in need of $1,000, and I offer them genuinely, out of the kindness of my heart, I offer them the $10, and they snatch it out of my hand. They look at me. They throw it on the ground. They stomp on it. They say, what's the good that going to do me? And they walk off. Imagine that. You know, the, 
the $10 wasn't going to save him, but rejecting the $10 could actually hurt him in the future. Because imagine if I did come along with $1,000 and I happened to have it, do you think that I would go back to that person and that would be the person I would choose? No, I'd probably take that and go to somebody else. So, so the idea of this general revelation is that a, accepting it is a means that God can provide a way to show you more in the future. But rejecting general revelation that, hey, God doesn't exist, and you've turned God into many different likenesses and turned him into idols and worshipped other things, is enough to condemn you. And so here's what, they've condemned themselves, and when God rejects them, he does it justly. He does it justly. I forgot to put my thing up on the screen. No. But it's, it's pretty interesting to me. Some people, they come, and I've talked about this um, in a different Sunday school lesson I did a few months ago, and it was about, I personally believe that if somebody accepts general revelation and believes that, hey, I believe that there's a God out there somewhere. I want to know about this God. I want to understand some things about him. They may not have all things, but I believe that God will providentially send somebody by that will explain to them what the truth is that Jesus saves. I think about the one illustration that I love to think about is Rahab the harlot. Rahab the harlot. She's over there in the city of Jericho. She's over there, and, and of course there's rumors all about this God of Israel and how they've gone out of Egypt and God's supplied their needs in the wilderness and they've crossed the Red Sea and you know the story. And when the spies go in, they somehow find their way to this one woman's house, Rahab the harlot. Is that coincidence? I don't think so. Because she declares to them, I believe that your God is the one true God. And it, she was saved because of her belief. God providentially led those men to that person who believed and she was saved and her household. So I believe that God will provide a way for those who accept general revelation and believe that there is a God. So here we go. The fact of God on those same lines. Some of this overlaps just a little bit. The fact of God. The question of whether or, whether, whether or not there is a supreme or personal intelligence, infinite and eternal, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, the creator and ruler of the universe is the question that plagues humans' minds. Simply put, is there a God? It's something that goes through everybody's mind on the planet. Is there a God? Go on, go on Google. Type it in. Is there a God? You're going to find millions, I would say, of articles about is there a God and people are out trying to find if in fact there really is a God or not. The fact of God is assumed by scripture. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. It was stated as a fact. It wasn't something, it, it was something that was just assumed. It wasn't something that the Bible goes and, and tries to go in a whole lot of defense about God and how to prove it? No, it just states it simply as a fact. And of course, for us who are believers who have set, accepted God's revelation through nature, through his handiwork, we come to the scripture and we accept that also. And we affirm that, yes, that is the truth. But there's people who don't accept the Bible as the word of God. The atheist, atheist means without God, without God, theos, um, God or God's. A in front of it, atheist, without gods. Okay, they believe that there is no God. I think a lot of atheists really aren't atheists. I think they just think they're atheists. 
me say that again. I think there's a lot of people out there who think they are atheists, but they really aren't atheists. I don't know what it is. It seems like in America and maybe over in Europe, it seems like it's becoming a fad for people, and young people especially, to throw up their hands and say, there isn't a God. I don't know if you guys have come across that like I have, but I feel like it's, I don't know if it's a fad or it's just something that's sweeping across our nation. I don't know, but that's what's happening. Um, they say there is, not, there is no God. Now, when I said that I think they're a little bit uh, delusioned, it's because I think most of them are more in the agnostic category. Agnostic means without knowing. It comes, uh, from, it comes from the word genosko in the Greek, of course, A in front of it, without knowing, without knowledge. And once again, most people just aren't atheists. They think they are. And the reason I come to that conclusion is because when you ask an atheist and you say a question something like this, do you know everything there is to know about everything? Think about the universe and how wide it spans. We can't even reach one end of it. And we're just in a small little galaxy out of many, many, many other galaxies. Even just think in our natural world that we're in right now, do we know everything that there is to know? We can't even figure out if we're supposed to be wearing a mask during this coronavirus or not. They say, wear a mask. And then they say, don't wear a mask because you can get it. And then they go back and they say, wear a mask. I don't know if that, that's, what ha that's what I read. And we don't know. And so imagine, I have this book right here, and I'll say, Mr. Tom, this book contains everything there is to know in the entire world. How much if you could relate how much you know to everything that there is to know, how much do you think? A page? A paragraph? A sentence? Is maybe what, you, maybe what the honest person would agree. Maybe I would know a sentence out of everything there is to know. Maybe even smaller than that. That's what we would say. And then you ask the question, well, how much does the entire world together of everybody who has ever existed, how much would the entire world know of everything that has ever existed? That everything that there is to possibly know and what? Okay, we'll say maybe a page, maybe two pages, three pages, maybe a quarter of it. But even if it was a quarter, or even if it was half, isn't it a possibility that God exists in the other half somewhere that we haven't discovered yet or we haven't found out? So it's a very ignorant thing. That's why the Bible says, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Because it's very foolish to think that God couldn't be out there somewhere we just haven't discovered him yet. So the agnostic, he doesn't say, I believe in God. And he doesn't say, I don't believe in God. He says, well, I just don't know if you can believe in God. I don't know if you can find it. I don't believe that you can find out for sure. And so I think most people are agnostics. And so if you talk to an atheist and you explain it something similar to maybe like that, now you've gained, you've got really a foot in the door to where there's an opportunity for them to realize that, well, maybe there is a possibility of God. One preacher, he said when he would bring people to that conclusion, he always told them, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go, when you get home, every single night, I want you to pray to God. I want you to be as sincere as you possibly can. You may not think it does any good, but every night for about a month, I want you to pray to God and earnestly in your heart say, dear God, if you're out there, I really want to know who you are. And then I want you to open up the Bible and I want you to start reading in the book of John. And every day I want you to read a chapter of John. And he said that he has had multiple people who at one time have claimed to be atheists that he convinced were really agnostic have actually become believers and 
he had one guy who was actually a prominent member in his church. Pretty amazing. And so, let's move on with the fact of God. Okay, it is established by reason, by reason. The argument of universal belief. Has it ever caught your attention that all around the world, anywhere you go, you find people who have some sort of spiritual belief? Have you thought about that? Man everywhere believes in the existence of a supreme being or beings to whom he is morally responsible and to whom propitiation needs to be made. You can't go anywhere on the globe where you don't find people who feel like they have hurt a God out there somewhere and they need to make things right. Now, it may not be the God of the Bible, who we deserve, but it is some God out there. That's very interesting to me that it is in the nature, the nature of humans to believe that God is out there somewhere. Now, all the evidence points to the conclusive fact that the universal belief in supreme being or beings is innate in man. It's a part of us, and it comes from rational intuition. Romans 1, this is not only a, a evidence that we can just assume by, by uh, seeing it, but it's also something that's found in the Bible, Romans chapter 1, verse 19 through 21, it says, Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. It's in the heart of man. For God hath showed it unto them. How did he show it to them? Was it from the Bible? No. It was from natural or general revelation. Verse 20, For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things which are made, even his eternal power, and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were they thankful, but became vain in their imagination, and their foolish heart was darkened. The Bible claims that God is made known to every man. Many of them do not accept it as God. They don't take in the truth, but they regard it as a fallacy. And because of that, they didn't glorify God. They didn't give him the glory that he deserved. And they weren't, they weren't thankful. And a couple of verses later, I believe it's in verse 28 of this chapter, he says that he has turned them over to a reprobate mind. God has turned them over to a reprobate mind. And he has turned them over to some vile things, homosexual acts between each other. And you look at our world today and our country today, and you say, how in the world can these things go on? I believe it's because people have rejected God. And he has literally turned them over to it. And that's how they get there. So, it's established by reason. The argument of cause and effect, of course, nails, block, concrete, stucco, sheetrock, paint from a building, it all shows when it's all assembled together that, hey, there was a builder that designed this whole thing. Words in a book, they didn't just come there by chance. A typewriter wasn't left alone and somehow... Air molecules came and typed up words and formed logical sentences. It didn't happen by chance. Something must have caused that. Every effect has a cause. The effect cause depends on the cause for its existence. Nature cannot originate itself. The argument of design, teleological. Okay, there are a number of different arguments for God's existence as we look at this. And of course, individually, they may not be accepted as enough to, okay, prove that yes, God does exist. But when you take them all together, it shows reasonable evidence 
that yes, God in fact does exist. So a watch proves not only a maker, but also a designer. A watch is made for a purpose, such as we were. This is evident in a structure, so it is within the world in which we live. The ends in nature cannot be attributed to natural results, results which are produced without intelligence. If we are intelligent beings, something intelligent must have made us. It's common sense. Psalm 19.1, we've already read, The heavens declare the glory of God, the firmament showeth his handiwork. Here's another reason about the fact of God that we were created by God. Okay, the moral argument. The moral argument. Um, what separates mankind from animals? What separates us from animals? I would say a soul, a conscience. A conscience, for sure. That's what I would say. And I know some of you say, well, my dog has one of those. When he pees on the floor, he feels really bad. The only reason he feels bad is because you've trained him to feel that way. That's the only way he feels bad. When you first brought that dog home, he peed everywhere. You couldn't keep him from peeing. But after he's paid, he just knows that he's hurt you, and so that's why the emotion of sad, or he knows he's going to get in trouble and, or get put in his crate. They hate that. And that's why. But inside, man, nobody taught us what was right and what, it, what was wrong. Inside each one of us, we know thou shalt, and we know thou shalt not. We know we should do this, and we know we shouldn't do that. We know that some things are right and some things are wrong, that love is right and that hatred is wrong. We understand that. But we didn't have to learn that. It's something that was natural inside of us that separates us from the animals. Now, some people come and they say, okay, well, it feels right. It feels right, so it must be right. No. And just because it feels wrong doesn't mean that it is wrong. People want to come and they say, and you'll see them on the news and you'll see them on social media, somebody turning uh, to homosexuality and they'll saying, it feels right. That doesn't mean it's right. Imagine if we lived our lives like that because something felt right. Vengeance, when we wanted to get even with somebody. Somebody did us wrong, oh my goodness, what if we even wanted to take somebody's life murder somebody. It feels right. Does that mean that I should act on my impulses if you use that same line of argument? No, no, absolutely not. And so just because something feels wrong doesn't mean that it is wrong. It doesn't always feel good telling the truth. Have you been there? Yes. It doesn't always feel good having to cough up that you made a mistake and that you did wrong, but it's the right thing to do. We have a moral conscious conscience. I'm sorry, moral conscience. Let's see what else we got here. Oh, I like this. I'm going to go back here. Sorry, I'm skipping through it again. I like that last quote. Not my quote, by the way. It says, we must believe that there is a God, talking about the moral argument, or believe that the very root of our nature is a lie. We've got to believe that there's a God or believe that the very root of our nature is a lie. We've got one more thing we'll look at, and we're just about out of time. The argument of congruity. Belief in self-existent personal God is in harmony with all the facts of our mental and moral nature as well as the phenomena of our natural world. Believing in God goes together with everything 
in the world. And us as believers, I feel like I'm preaching to the choir, but it's a good thing to, for us to go over again, is it's in agreement. We're not out here on our own doing, per se, our own thing. It's, it makes perfect sense. And the last one, I want to finish up the fact of God here. The argument of Scripture. The Bible's history is sufficient enough to satisfy every reasonable de- demand for the existence of God. The history of the Jews and prophecy is not explainable minus God. I'm not going to get all into it because I went over it in the last lesson um, about the trustworthiness of the Bible and all the ways that the Bible is trustworthy. And so I'm not going to go over it, but if you've watched that or you've ever heard uh, an argument or a defense about the Bible and how trustworthy it is because of everything that went into it, 1,300 years it took to compile the whole thing. People who grew up in different parts of the world in different countries and different cultures and they wrote about different topics. Some wrote in poetry. Some wrote about his- history. Some wrote about prophecy, but it all goes together perfectly. It's only explainable with God. And so... Wonderful. Man cannot deny the truth of the testimony of the Bible unless he says plainly, no amount of testimony will convince me of the supernatural. Sometimes when people come and they like to argue, I've got family members who love to argue with me about, does God exist? Is the Bible true? They like to argue about those things. And, and I've, I've learned after spending hours and hours and hours and hours trying to convince them and bickering back and forth. I've learned to just ask, if I were to answer every single question accurately and give you reasonable evidence, reasonable proof about all these different things, if I was to do that, would you believe? And they say, well, no. And I say, okay, well, I guess why are we, we're not going to dive into it. And so maybe some of you, you're in, the, you're in the same boat. You have family members, friends, neighbors who are constantly trying to badger you and trying to poke at you and prove that the Bible's wrong and the Bible's wrong and the Bible's wrong. Hey, don't cast your pearls before swine. That's what Jesus said. It's a crude illustration, but it's true. You got something really precious. And there's people out there who need and want what you have. Hey, give it to those people. And uh, I know God will bless you for it. So thank you for listening. There was more. This is not the end of it, by the way. But it's all that we had time for today and a little bit in theology, the study of God. Hope it was a blessing to you. Let's pray. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.